Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks so much for joining us on this lovely Friday afternoon um, when it'll be nice to get outside and do some good exercise while social distancing. Um, but thank you for staying in and watching this. So I am in the nonprofit practice at Hemingway and Barnes and have also been involved with the tech exempt organizations section of the BBA. And um, I'm happy to present this webinar today. So we're going to be talking about uh, new legislation that, oh, I'm sorry, Daniel, the slides are not advancing. Sure. So if you just navigate down to uh, the bottom where you should see the little arrow to click through, um, likely the bottom left corner. Okay. There you go. Okay. All right. So here we go. Um, so we're going to be talking about the emergency legislation, but first we'll talk a little bit about what the problem is that led to needing to um, pass this emergency legislation at this time. And then we'll give some general information about the new law and then delve into the temporary board powers that it affords and when talk about when boards might want to exercise those powers and also give some tips on uh, going forward and exercising those powers. And so the problem was that during our COVID-19 um, state of emergency, it because of social distancing um, and because of the fact that people may not be at their regular um, homes or uh, places of work, that it can be difficult to contact directors to provide notice of meetings. Um, and of course, it can be difficult, if not impossible, to hold in-person meetings, um, also because of directors being spread all over the place or in different places, it might be difficult to reach a quorum of directors at a meeting. Um, and also with the difficulties in meeting, it can be difficult to elect officers and directors whose terms may be expiring. The, there are special issues that are um, in the mix for nonprofits that have voting members. And so what I'm talking about here is um, individuals or entities that are given voting rights under the state's nonprofit corporation law um, and the organization's own governing documents, its articles of organization and its bylaws. And these members get to vote on generally pretty high level issues, such as amending the articles and bylaws, electing directors, sometimes electing officers, and getting to vote on fundamental transactions such as mergers um, or dissolutions, for example. So that's what we're talking about here when we talk about voting members. We're not, we do know that uh, organizations sometimes have people that they call members. So if you think about your local um, public radio station, they might solicit you to join to become a quote member and you get certain benefits and newsletters and discounts and things like that. Or perhaps you are a member of a museum or other cultural organization and that similarly you get discounts on admission. Um, generally, those folks are not voting members and that's not what we're talking about here. The, the voting members that we're talking about are folks who in the nonprofit context exercise um, rights similar to those of shareholders in the for-profit context. But of course, it, since we're talking about nonprofits, the members do not have an ownership stake. So anyway, under the Massachusetts Nonprofit Corporation Law, 
um, members of nonprofits are not permitted to meet remotely. And also, even though they are permitted to meet either in person or by proxy under the law, many times an organization's bylaws will prohibit proxy voting. And per, the rationale behind this could be twofold. One is that um, Robert's Rules of Orders, uh, Robert's Rules of Order tends to frown on proxy voting. So if people are real adherence to Robert's rules. That could be one reason why they put it in the bylaws. But the more likely reason is that they wanted to encourage members to come in person to meet at their, in their meetings and to discuss issues and the like. So, um, but um, like I said, many times the bylaws will prevent proxy voting. So we have the emergency legislation to solve these issues. Um, the legislation is found at um, section 16 of chapter 53 of the Massachusetts Acts of 2020, which are the session laws. And just to clarify that this emergency law applies to nonprofits that are incorporated in Massachusetts under chapter 180 of the Massachusetts general laws. So if your organization is incorporated in another state, then you will need to look to that state's law to determine um, what, how you can conduct your meetings during this time of COVID-19 and whether there have been any changes in the law um, that might give you additional flexibility if you need it. But the law, as I said, applies to Massachusetts um, Chapter 180 nonprofits. It is not limited to 501c3 organizations. It's any nonprofit incorporated under Chapter 180. It applies to you know, faith-based organizations provided they are incorporated under Chapter 180. It applies to neighborhood organizations, civic organizations, many different kinds of nonprofits, assuming they are incorporated under Chapter 180. So the, um, the law, I should also note too that it only applies to nonprofits that are incorporated. So if your nonprofit is in trust form, the, this law does not apply and you would need to look to your trust instrument to determine um, you know, procedures that would apply. So the law itself gives nonprofit boards special powers and it does it on a temporary basis during the current um, state of emergency issued by Governor Baker starting on March 10th and for 60 days thereafter. And I should just note, since we have the um, essential services order um, coming up uh, um, for, you know, to end perhaps on Monday or to be modified this coming Monday, I just want to note that the essential services order is not the same thing as the state of emergency. Um, and so the, presumably whatever happens with the essential services order, the state of emergency will still be in place after Monday. So in any event, it's the the boards have the author these authorities that we're going to talk about during this state of emergency and for 60 days after the state of emergency ends. These new provisions apply regardless of what your organization's bylaws say, provided, of course, that your articles of organization don't provide otherwise. So, for example, if we're talking about members meeting remotely, um, if your bylaws say that members have to meet in person, um, if as long as the articles don't also say that, then members may meet remotely under the provisions of this new law. So what is it that boards can do? 
uh, and I should note, and we'll note this later, um, that these powers that boards may exercise are, of course, optional. And but the key point is that the board will have to vote to um, to take these actions. And so, if it we're talking about permitting a remote member meeting, the board will first have to vote to permit that, and then the members may go ahead and meet according to the legislation remotely. So one of the things that boards may do is allow an existing director or officer to continue to serve during the state of emergency and until the individual's successor is chosen and takes office, um, even if their um, term may expire in the meantime. Alternatively, the board may just simply appoint successors to officers and directors, um, and this appointing successors also applies to employees or agents as well, although we're tending to see more questions about officers and directors since their terms tend to be expiring um, often around now when many nonprofits are having or are planning, we're planning to have their annual meetings. So the boards may also provide notice of board meetings to whichever directors it's practicable to reach um, because as I mentioned directors may be in different locations and not at their offices not at their regular homes for example um, and this notice may be provided in any practicable manner so for example if your bylaws were to say that notice of board meetings must be provided by mail um, most bylaws pro provide now for more um, different forms of notice such as email and the like but for example if your bylaws did say that they, it was restricted to notice by mail um, you can provide notice under this emergency legislation in any practicable manner so you could do it by phone or email or the like um, also the law um, allows directors to permit board meetings to be held by any means of communication by which all directors uh, participating are able to communicate simultaneously this does not require that all the directors be able to hear each other. And I should just note here that the regular Chapter 180, the regular Mass Nonprofit Corporation Law, already has a provision that allows boards to meet via audio conference or video conference where everybody participating in the meeting can hear each other at the same time. Um, so this provision here in this legislation is um, giving even a little bit more flexibility, uh, but my sense is that most boards would want to be able to hear each other at the same time. Also, a helpful provision is that the number of directors participating in a meeting held according to this emergency law are deemed to be a quorum, regardless of whatever the bylaws say about quorum requirements. So basically, you know, if you, um, you know, reach out and notify directors, uh, give notice um, in any practical manner about the meeting, and then, you know, a couple people show up, even if that's less than your normally required quorum, those directors will be deemed to be a quorum for purposes of that meeting. Also, the board may cancel a member's meeting um, as long as notice is given in any practicable manner to the members. And we'll talk a little bit later about why this might be helpful. And then, as I alluded to before, the board may vote to authorize members to vote um, either in person or by proxy, even if the bylaws don't allow members to vote by proxy. Um, and uh, votes by proxy will count, of course, toward making a quorum. 
Um, and so the board may also allow members to participate by remote participation, even if they're not physically present, which would seem to be what's implied by remote participation. Um, but there are certain things you need to be aware of if you are um, holding a um, member's meeting remotely as approved by your board. And that is, first of all, you have to take reasonable steps to verify that each person who is deemed present and is permitted to vote in the meeting is either um, a member themselves or is a proxy holder for a member. You also have to give members and proxy holders a reasonable opportunity to participate in and vote at the meeting. And that would include an opportunity to read um, or hear the proceedings of the meeting substantially concurrently with them, pose questions and make comments, um, regardless of whether the members can simultaneously communicate with each other during the meeting. And then of course, you have to maintain a record of votes or other actions taken at the meeting presumably in the minutes, as you would normally do at any meeting. Also, the board may choose to relocate the nonprofit's principal office or designate alternative offices. I haven't heard a lot of questions or seen a lot of need for this so far, but just to make you aware that it's um, an option. And then um, if the board takes actions under this new law and, and it is a member corporation, the board must notify the members of any actions it, the board takes under the emergency law as soon as reasonably practicable. Also, just to keep in mind, um, when exercising the temporary powers, as I indicated before, the board must affirmatively vote to take any of these actions that are permitted. Um, the members can't simply go on their own and have a remote meeting. Um, also, the boards, as I indicated before, only have these powers during the state of emergency and for 60 days afterwards. So after 60 days following the state of, um, end of the state of the emergency, members may no longer uh, vote remotely, for example. And then it's also critical that you check your articles of organization to be sure that they don't prohibit any of the, these actions. Most of the time, you'll find that they won't, but it's always worth checking just to be sure. And this, for those of you who um, are not familiar with where to find your articles if you don't have them handy in a file. Um, you can look them up on the Secretary of State's website. There's a business search function and you put in your organization's name and search and you can pull up various documents, including your articles and any amendments to them. So um, I'll pause here and just see if anybody has any questions. Um, and, but if, and if not, I can go on to discuss some key points to consider about this. Um, so feel free to type in any questions you might have in the Q&A box and I will be happy to answer them. Meanwhile, we'll go on and discuss some of these other issues. Um, let's see. Oh yes. Yeah, so, we will be providing copies of the slides as well as a recording of the webinar after um, in, in next week. And also, I will be providing, um, in addition, a copy of the statute. And also, I've put together an FAQ that includes 
a bunch of questions that our firm has received on this topic. And but I'm going to wanted to wait until after the webinar today to see if other questions come in that would be um, good to address in the FAQ. So you will be getting a recording, the slides, the FAQ, and the statute. Uh, okay. So do you one question that came in was, do you have to vote to hold a remote board meeting at the beginning of the remote meeting? Um, no. So if you're talking about a board meeting, um, as long as you're, and I'm talking, first of all, right now under the regular Massachusetts Nonprofit Corporation Law, Chapter 180, um, as I mentioned before, board meetings may be held by audio or video conference where everyone can hear each other. And now under the new emergency legislation, there's more flexibility um, where folks don't even have to be able to hear each other as long as they can simultaneously communicate. Um, so if you're just talking about the regular power under uh, where you know they're participating in a, in a way that everybody can hear each other then no particular vote is needed for that um, assuming that you're um, it, that that is not prohibited by your articles or your bylaws um, say you know it's unlikely but say for example your bylaws do prohibit um, um, board the board from meeting via teleconference, for example, um, you could, the board could under this emergency legislation vote to, um, to meet that way um, and would take that vote at the beginning of the meeting. Um, if you're talking about a member meeting, the board would need to meet first and then hold a vote to authorize the members to vote remotely. And then you would have the member meeting and the members would themselves not have to take that vote, but it would be a good idea to note in the minutes of that meeting that that meeting is being held remotely pursuant to the provisions of the emergency law. Um, okay, and then there was a follow up question to that one I just answered of or do, so like I said with if you're talking about the board meeting remotely under the regular mass law, then no vote is required. Um, so uh, and then, but like I said, if the board is taking a vote to meet under one of the remote meeting provisions of the emergency legislation, there should be a vote. Um, and then, so then there was one question of, or does it have to be voted by email, for example, before the actual remote meeting? And so I'd just like to pause here and talk a little bit about email voting. Um, so, and that was one of my points on the slide that I wanted to talk about, uh, which is that um, as a general matter, nonprofit corporations in Massachusetts cannot take votes by email um, unless the email constitutes a unanimous written consent in lieu of a meeting. And so um, both boards and members of Massachusetts nonprofit corporations can do something that is called a unanimous uh, written consent or consent without a meeting. But as the term implies, it has to be unanimous. So every single, every single director, if we're talking about the board, or every single member, if we're talking about members, has to agree. So if you sent around a board resolution via email, then all of your board members would have to um, sign or indicate their agreement to that resolution, and that would have to be returned um, to, say, the board president, for example, or anyways, um, and it would um, not be valid until the final board member 
send back their consent and it has to be all of the board members um, whether or not yeah all of the board members and if you're talking about members it'd have to be all of the members and for many membership organizations that's just not practical um, and so also if you your bylaws provide for voting by email I would urge you to uh, look at your bylaws and consider removing that provision since it's not valid um, and also to consider ratifying having the board or members whoever was doing the voting by email um, ratify vote to ratify through a permitted means um, such as if it's members meeting in person or by proxy or during the emergency uh, meeting remotely but to ratify any past votes taken by email that did not meet the criteria for unanimous written consent okay another question if the organization's bylaws prohibit remote meetings in a board that where you're talking about directors but no members may the original decision to allow for remote meetings be voted on in a remote meeting that is a really good question um i mean i would i would say that yes that the intention of this emergency legislation is to allow nonprofits flexibility to govern at this time and so i would say that yes, they that the board could meet remotely, and then they would acknowledge that they are meeting remotely pursuant to the provisions of this new of this emergency law, and um, and then you know vote to meet remotely, uh, make that meeting a remote meeting pursuant to the law. Okay. All right. Um, well, feel free to continue putting in questions. Um, so I have received a question in the past about what if the articles prohibit uh, remote meetings, and you do have a couple of options there, um, which is that if the articles prohibit remote meetings, you want to look at are they talking about board meetings or member meetings? If they're just talking about member meetings, then the board could meet remotely under the regular mass provisions about remote meetings of boards or under the remote meeting provision of the emergency legislation. And then the board could um, so you know take actions such as um, canceling the a member meeting and um and extending terms of existing directors and officers or appointing successors to directors and officers um, so that that can tide the organization over until the members can once again um, meet in person um, also you want to check whether the prohibition in the articles extends to proxy voting because if the articles don't prohibit proxy voting the members could vote by proxy under the emergency legislation, um, if um, if so, like if the bylaws were to prohibit proxy voting, the the members could meet that way anyway under this, as long as the board voted to authorize it. If there's no prohibition um, on proxy voting, then of course the members can vote by proxy um, regardless of the emergency legislation. Um, also, as I mentioned before, you know if it's not um, prohibited by the articles or bylaws and if it's not impractical you could use a unanimous written consent but obviously that's going to be more challenging than some of these other methods 
In terms of tools uh, for remote meetings, um, this is where some of the challenges do come in for organizations with larger groups of members. But I mean, tools you can use depending on the size of the organization include, you know, conference call capability, um, video conference such as Zoom as we're all using today and are all becoming familiar with, but just there are other platforms similar to Zoom, so not just endorsing Zoom here. Um, and then, but there are also um, more robust platforms that allow for proxy distribution. And then there are ones that allow for what are called virtual meetings. So, which sometimes allow for a mix of people, they can allow for a mix of people in person and completely remotely. And they can these virtual meeting platforms can often handle very large groups of members and there generally are ones that are um, are used by public companies when they're doing their annual meetings and have you know potentially many many thousands of shareholders that they're trying to include in the meeting um, so but there are also some um, platforms that are used for nonprofit associations to meet and so um, they may provide some capability that could be useful as well. But to be honest, I haven't come across any, um, you know, really fantastic tools that I'm aware of, but um, if anybody on the call has used such tools, um, it would be great to know about them. And if you want to type it into the Q&A, I can share those with folks listening in as well. Um, okay, so what steps would be required to hold a remote meeting? Well, uh, first of all, as I mentioned, there would have to be the board vote. So the board would, um, you know, vote to hold the meeting remotely. Um, and then if it's a membership corporation, the board would need to provide notice of that vote to the members as soon as reasonably practicable. Um, then you would have need to do the meeting notice. And if you're talking about a board meeting, the board would need to provide notice to whichever directors it is practicable to reach in any practicable manner. Um, and the notice would need to comply with whatever bylaws requirements you have on things like the notice period, so how far in advance the notice has to be provided, um, and what information would have to be included in the notice. So for example, if the board were going to amend the bylaws, for example, sometimes the bylaws amendment provision requires that you um, you know, specify that that's going to be a purpose of the meeting and maybe provide a summary of the proposed changes. So you need to check your bylaws about um, the notice period and what needs to go in the notice. If you're talking about a members meeting, you would follow the notice requirements in the bylaws for members meetings, um, including notice period and what um, what has to go in the notice and also in terms of the form of the notice because the emergency legislation, while it allows boards to provide directors with notice via any um, practicable means that does not say that about member meetings. Um, and then you would also want to, of course, in the notice for either one, specify, you know, how the meeting will be conducted remotely, um, you know, via Zoom or whatever other platform you're using. Then if you are going to use proxies for a member meeting, um, so proxies are allowed for member meetings. Um, board, board meetings are not allowed to have proxies, just to clarify that. 
Um, so if you're going to use proxies for the member meetings, of course, you'd want to send the proxy forms to the members and then specify how they are supposed to um, return them and by when. Then you will need to call the meeting to order at the time of the day of the meeting and the chair would need to hold a roll call vote, I mean a roll call to determine who's there or use whatever means to determine who's present depending on what platform you're using and to determine whether there's a quorum. Um, and um, under the emergency law, as I mentioned before, any directors who participate are deemed to make a quorum. Um, and also, as I mentioned before, you, if you're talking about a members meeting, you have to take reasonable steps to determine that somebody who is deemed present and permitted to vote is indeed a member or a valid proxy holder. Then in terms of participating in the meeting itself, um, directors, as I mentioned, are have to be able to simultaneously communicate with each other, which could be by hearing each other or or it doesn't have to be as long as they could, you know, simultaneously chat or do whatever that your remote platform permits. And then, as I mentioned before, with members, the opportunity to participate in the meeting and to pose questions um, and make comments. And then also, of course, as with any meeting, you will want to take minutes and um, record the votes taken at the meeting. Um, and it's a good idea to indicate in those minutes that the meeting was being held pursuant to section 16 of chapter 53 of the Acts of 2020 and how the meeting satisfied the law's various requirements. Um, so the, a question came in about what do you recommend in terms of verifying the identity of members at a remote meeting? Uh, it kind of depends on what platform is so you know if you're doing it by so you don't have that if you don't have that many members and you're able to do it by zoom then um, you know you could obviously see people's faces um, I mean I think that I guess I would say if you even if you can't see people let's say you're doing it on the phone or some other platform where there's no visual you know I think you could read off a list of the members and ask people to indicate whether they're present or not um, and then if you have a more robust platform, some those virtual meeting platforms that I mentioned provide a way to verify that members are who they say they are. Um, and I don't know the details of exactly how they do that, but, um, but they do um, make that, uh, you know, uh, something that, you, that, they, that they can handle for you. So I wish I could be a little more specific there. Um, Another question was, um, can proxies be collected by email? Yes, they can. Um, and so speaking, oops, speaking of proxies, um, let's talk about proxies for a moment here. Um, okay. So I'm just gonna, many of you may know about proxies um, since I'm assuming that most people on the call are attorneys, but for anybody who isn't an attorney, I just wanted to spend a little time talking about them because I do find that there tends to be a lot of confusion around proxies. And so just wanted to dispel some of that. Um, so under mass nonprofit corporation law, members, but not directors may vote by proxy as long as um, 
the articles of organization or bylaws don't prohibit it. This law was passed, as I mentioned, because many times nonprofit membership corporations bylaws do prohibit proxy voting by members. Um, so what you would do is um, to send out a proxy form and you can certainly email that out. Um, and then, and especially if your bylaws, you know, don't provide for proxies, which is why you'd be using the emergency legislation to use proxies anyway, um, presumably then your bylaws wouldn't say anything about how you collect proxies or that sort of thing. Um, but I would also imagine that even if, um, you know, so if you're, but if your bylaws do provide for proxies, then you want to look at what they say about sending them out and collecting them, if anything. Um, so you would send out the proxy form and with the proxy, the member would be signing the form designating somebody else who's known as the proxy holder to vote for them at the meeting. Um, the proxy can either list the specific votes and how the, um, the member wants the proxy holder to vote, which is a specific or a limited proxy, or they can simply let the proxy holder decide how to vote and that's called a general proxy. Um, and so the proxy can be submitted on paper or as long as the articles or bylaws don't prohibit it, it can be submitted electronically. And the proxy holder could be a member of the organization or it could be somebody else. And so whatever means you use to distribute and collect the proxies, you need to be able to determine that the member submitting the proxy signed or otherwise authorized the proxy holder to vote for them um, and what the terms of the authorization were. So was it a general or a specific proxy? Um, so, and just I wanna also note that a proxy is not a ballot. A proxy is authorizing somebody else to vote for you at the meeting, whereas with the ballot, you would um, be casting your vote at the meeting yourself. And so um, just wanted to straighten that out because sometimes people get confused because proxies sometimes kind of look like a ballot because you might be checking a box to vote one way or the other, but what you're actually doing is telling someone else to vote for you. Um, and I would just note here that um, Massachusetts nonprofit law, unlike some other states, nonprofit laws does not permit members to vote by ballot um, if they're not attending a meeting. The, and the only means that members generally can vote under regular mass nonprofit law are in person or by proxy. And now with the emergency legislation, if approved by the board, they can vote remotely. I mean, participate in meetings and vote remotely. So if you're using proxies, um, you know, if the meeting is being held remotely, you would notice the meeting for a specific day, time, and remote meeting platform, and you distribute proxies to the members. And members could either participate themselves or designate a proxy holder to vote, attend and vote in their place. Um, as I mentioned before, the emergency legislation requires the organization to take reasonable steps to determine that the person present and permitted to vote is a member or a proxy holder. So, you know, you want to at least, you know, have the names of the who are the members who are entitled to vote and the names of the proxy holders. And you know, check through roll call or through some other means permitted by your platform that you're using. Um, unless the proxy states that it's irrevocable, a member could show up, they revoke their proxy and appear at the meeting and vote themselves. Um, and then at the meeting, the number of members participating themselves and by proxy would be counted up to determine whether there's a quorum and assuming there is, 
um, then on each item that's up for a vote, the votes of members voting by proxy would be counted along with the members participating in the meeting themselves. Alternatively, the meeting could be held in person with either just one, present, one person present who would be the proxy holder for everybody or a few people present and socially distancing. And in that case, you, you know, give the location, physical location of the meeting um, in the notice along with the day and the time. Um, and then members would submit their proxies designating, you know, a person who would be there at that time and would be their proxy holder and then you would follow the other procedures in terms of determining if a quorum is present and then and taking the votes. Um, under mass law, no proxy dated more than six months before the meeting named in the proxy will be valid and no proxy will be valid until after the final adjournment of the meeting. Um, so we also did cover about email votes per, um, and whether they're permitted. Um, and so, like I said, they're not unless it's a unanimous um, consent in lieu of a meeting. In terms of documenting actions taken under the emergency law, uh, as I indicated, it's a good idea to um, document in the minutes of the meeting that the meeting was, um, you know, was held pursuant to this emergency legislation. Uh, you may also want to note that, you know, for example, if it's a remote members meeting, you know, that it was approved uh, or authorized to be held remotely by the board on X date, and then, you know, document how um, you could document the steps taken to comply with the law. That's not required. You don't have to do that, but, you know, it's a, a good idea. Um, and if you really want to take a belt and suspenders approach, you could have, say, if you're talking about a remote members meeting, you could have the members at a later date at an in-person meeting, you know, vote to ratify actions taken um, at the remote meeting. But again, not necessary because the law does permit it. So, you know, there's no question that it would be valid. But if you want to be extra cautious, you could do that. Um, yes, and then in terms of, um, and like I said, with the proxies, you know, you can mail them out to folks via email or mail, um, however you want, and then they, people could email them back to you as well, as long as your bylaws don't, or articles don't prohibit that. Um, so um, there's some flexibility there. But I think a lot of times people just think, oh, we can just send out this proxy and then somebody will sign it and then it's like a ballot and you don't actually have to have a meeting. But with proxies, you have to actually have a meeting where the proxies get voted. Um, okay, I have other topics I could discuss here or some questions that we've, our firm has received, um, uh, but feel free to send in further questions while I'm talking. And if anybody has any experience with using this law, I'd love to hear about it as well. Um, so in a past question, somebody said, can remote meetings legally substitute for in-person meetings? Yes, they can if the articles don't prohibit remote meetings and you follow this emergency law. Um, in some cases, uh, um, 
you know, one question was, our bylaws require that we hold our annual member meeting in June, what options do we have? So one option, of course, is to hold the meeting via teleconference, audio conference, virtual meeting technology, or entirely or in part by proxy, as long as the articles don't prohibit it. Um, if that, if you have too many members or that would be too challenging, then the board can vote to um, cancel the annual member meeting and then um, a subsequent special meeting in lieu of an annual meeting would be held at a later date, um, as long as the bylaws provide for that. Um, so if the board cancels the annual member meeting, the board could then still um, vote to extend terms of directors or officers whose terms might be expiring in June um, and let them hold office until their successors take office. Or the board could vote to simply appoint successors to those officers and directors. And you'd have to think about you know, what would work um, sort of politically. Um, I'm guessing that in many cases, the members might prefer it if the board just extended the terms of folks until their successors could be elected by the members. Um, but if the members, you don't think the members would object, you could just have the board just appoint the successors. And presumably those successors uh, would hold office until, you know, could hold office for the full term, the full regular term of the officers or directors. Um, we had a question about an organization that was planning to add three new directors and make some changes to its bylaws at its 2020 annual meeting. And so they were wondering if they didn't hold the annual meeting, could the board temporarily make those changes until the next annual meeting? Um, and the answer assumes that, as is sort of implied in the question, that the nonprofit has voting members. Um, so as we've been talking about, the law permits the board to appoint successors to directors. So if these three directors that were going to be added when, when you say new directors, if by new you mean new as in filling the term of somebody whose term is expiring, um, then the board may do that. However, if the organization was planning to expand its board, um, the legislation only talks about um, successor directors. So I would say that the board could not appoint new board members to expand the board if that power is reserved to the members. Um, similarly, the emergency law does not address the board's power to amend the bylaws. So if you, it is a member corporation and member approval is required to amend the bylaws, then the board could not amend the bylaws regardless of this emergency legislation. Um, so another question that we got was that if our bylaws prohibit proxy voting by members, can we use this law to amend the bylaws so that we can vote by proxy after the law is no longer in effect? And the answer is yes. Um, the, so the bylaws currently prohibit proxy voting by members. Um, the board could vote to exercise its authority under the emergency legislation to permit proxy voting by members. And the members could vote by proxy or a mix of proxy and in-person um, to, or you know, through a remote meeting as well, 
to amend the bylaws to allow for proxy voting in the future by the by the members. Another question was, could the members also vote to amend the bylaws to permit remote meetings in the future? And the answer there is no. The remote meeting provision only applies under this emergency legislation um, during the current state of emergency and for 60 days thereafter. The regular nonprofit corporation law does not allow for remote voting by members, so you can't um, change the bylaws to authorize that. The um, Boston Bar Association has been involved in um, a very exhaustive and um, detailed process to draft proposed legislation that would significantly update and revamp Chapter 180. And I believe that there are some provisions in that draft legislation that would um, allow for uh, remote meetings, but um, that legislation has not been passed yet. So maybe at some point in the future, um, Massachusetts nonprofit corporation law will um, move into the 21st century, but not at the moment. Um, I, let's see. So as um, As I um, indicated, I think before, you know, that the board, uh, under the emergency law, board members who participate in a board meeting held under the law constitute a quorum regardless of how many there are and regardless of what your bylaws say. Um, for member meetings, the law specifies that regardless of what the bylaws say, a member voting by proxy will be considered in present for purposes of any quorum requirement. And similarly, presence by a member um, in a remote meeting would also be counted for a quorum. Um, but the law doesn't change any quorum requirements that your bylaws may have for uh, member meetings. So unlike the um, provision in the law that makes any directors who show up be deemed a quorum, that's not the case for members. So you still have to meet your member quorum requirements, but you can meet it by them showing up by or you know in, uh, by proxy or through remote meeting. Um, a question came in about um, whether there, we have any sense of whether the state of emergency is likely to be extended through September, um, and I don't know at this point. I, um, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Um, and maybe I know that you know on Monday we're going to be hearing more about the essential services order and maybe Governor Baker will say more about the state of emergency at that point as well. Um, from what the way he's been talking recently, I, you know, I don't think he's looking at lifting the state of emergency anytime soon, but we'll have to stay tuned. Um, oh, some thoughts on conducting meetings remotely. Um, just sort of practical thoughts about that. Uh, so, you know, if you're using video conferencing or a virtual meeting platform for the first time for your group, you'd want to provide detailed instructions on how to log on. I mean, these days, if you're using Zoom, you know, many people are familiar with it, but depending on who your board is or who your members are, they may not be um, tech savvy or some of them may not be. So you want to be as specific as possible. And if it's the first time that you're doing it, you would might also want to start open up the meeting, you know, say 30 minutes before so that you can troubleshoot and help people get on the meeting. Um, and then also 
you, you know, especially if you're using a virtual meeting platform, you'd want to find out how to get technical assistance during the meeting if something comes up. Also, especially for members meetings, you, uh, if, you know, if, the, if you have a lot of members and the platform is somewhat cumbersome, you want to think through what sort of rules and conduct of conduct you might want to have and thinking about, you know, how will Q&A work, time limits for votes and things like that. And you might want to consider a script outlining how the meeting will be run. Um, and then the chair would ensure that these rules of conduct are followed, um, as well as the requirements of the emergency law during the meeting. And also, when meeting, um, taking votes in an audio or video conference, it's a good idea for the chair to ask those making or seconding a motion to state their names. And, um, and certainly, you know, if people are abstaining, they should state their names as well. Um, and also, it's a good idea to pause for 10 to 15 seconds after calling for discussion on a motion um, to give people time to unmute themselves. I know I am always, you know, fiddling with the mute button to get myself unmuted um, so that folks can get unmuted and speak up before moving to the vote. Um, and then also, if anyone um, votes nay on a motion, uh, the chair should take a roll call vote to determine you know, how many people voted in favor and how many against so that you can determine whether the motion carries. Also, um, we had a question about whether um, how one uh, could hold a secret ballot vote remotely. And so assuming the your bylaws require secret balloting or permit it. Um, the best way to do it remotely would presumably be through one of these um, online voting or balloting platform or an online virtual meeting platform. Because uh, I can't really think of how to do it secretly through um, Zoom or a conference call. Um, if And if you find that if your bylaws do require secret balloting, say for example, for elections for directors and officers and the logistics are just too cumbersome, then as I mentioned before, the board could vote to extend the officers and directors terms until their successors are elected um, or and take office or the board could um, simply vote to appoint their successors. Um, we've had some questions about how do you determine what needs to be voted on at a meeting held occurring according to the emergency law and the answer is that the law is a procedural law so it talks about how to hold these meetings and take these actions but it doesn't include requirements on the content of the meetings I mean of course if the board is voting to authorize an action under the law then that would be something that you know would be need to be voted on uh, at the meeting um, so you have the board has to affirmatively exercise those powers by taking a vote. Um, but you would just want to look at when you're coming up with your agenda, just look at what sort of issues would your members and board respectively address at their meetings. And, you know, are there any particular actions needed right now in light of COVID-19, um, you know, such as board authorization for members to meet remotely or, you know, previously when if people were applying for payroll um, paycheck protection program loans, you know, that sort of thing. Um, 
and you know just check which actions might require member votes um, and which may be voted on by the board as i mentioned before members um, right to vote is generally pretty narrow and limited to kind of big picture high level actions such as amending articles and bylaws electing directors and things like that another question that came up was can the board temporarily override um could the, the board temporarily override the bylaws check signing requirements due to the current state of emergency the answer is no um, the board can't temporarily override them however the board could hold a remote meeting to amend those bylaws requirements if the board is empowered under the bylaws and articles to amend the bylaws um, if it is not then the members would have to do that and the members could hold, do that in their meeting that you hold during under these um, provisions. Is there any possible liability from holding meetings under the emergency law? Um, no, as long as boards use reasonable care to follow the law's requirements in good faith and to follow the law, um, and as well as their articles and bylaws in conducting meetings under the law, they're not likely to be subject to liability from the corporation or outside parties. I mean, the point of this law is to make it easier for boards and members to take actions at this extraordinary time. Um, somebody did note that one in terms of um, secret balloting that people could vote anonymously through the Q&A part of the Zoom chat. I guess my only concern about that is like, how would you determine who had cast their ballots um, and you know whether anybody was uh, perhaps voting twice? Um, so, but I'm not, a, I'm not a Zoom expert, so it's possible that there could be some way to do it uh, through that. So you could look into that. Um, how one thing some people have asked is how does this law relate to the Massachusetts Open Meetings Law? So um, most Massachusetts nonprofits are not subject to the state open meetings law or other requirements to make their meetings open to the public. But if your nonprofit is subject to those requirements, you would need to think through the interplay of the flexibilities provided under the emergency legislation and the open meeting uh, provisions to which you're subject. Um, and just note that actually a different part of, um, of chapter 53 of the acts of 2020 provides public bodies, in other words, governmental bodies uh, sub that are subject to the open meetings law, it gives them more flexibility to meet remotely than they normally have under the open meetings law. And I know I recently listened to a meeting of a town board that was conducted via Zoom. Um, and it was interesting seeing folks getting used to a remote platform um, in that context as well. So um, I think that pretty much covers uh, what, um, you know, what, what we have to talk about today under the law. But if anyone has any further questions, I know we have a few more minutes. Um, so feel free to type them in. And or if you have any um, experience with dealing with the law or any remote platforms, do feel free to share that as well. And um, we are very grateful that uh, that the um, BBA and others um, 
advocated for this change in the law because even though it doesn't solve all the problems that we're facing right now in terms of nonprofit governance issues, it does make a number of things easier. Um, and, and at a minimum, even if it's hard to convene a virtual meeting of an organization with say 8,000 members, you know, there are powers that the board can exercise to, to you know, uh, extend terms of officers and directors, for example, to make things a little bit easier for us at this time. Well, I'm not seeing any additional questions. I do have some resources for you here. Um, our firm's alert about the new law. And then actually prior to COVID-19, um, our firm did a podcast about nonprofit membership corporations. And so we have a little FAQ that's available about um, nonprofit membership corporations. And then as I mentioned, we'll I'll be following up through the BBA next week. Um, they'll be sending the recording, the slides, um, a copy of the statute. And then, like I said, I have an FAQ that I drew on to do this presentation. And so I'll look at the questions that were submitted today. And if there are any that aren't addressed, I will add those um, to the FAQ and send that out uh, to you next week. Well, thank you very much for participating today. And um, sorry that we can't be in person and um, able to talk in real time, but and look forward to the day when we can do that. And uh, thank you for your involvement and participation in the BBA. And our um, taxes on board section is, uh, like all the other sections of the BBA, is continuing our programming. So I do hope that you'll stay tuned to future Texas Org presentations and um, look forward to seeing you whether via Zoom or at a future date in person. Thank you.